This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 489th episode of the Hollywood Reporters Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the last surviving stars of Hollywood's golden age, much of which he spent under contract to the greatest studio of all, MGM. He made his name as a child actor in films like 1950's Father of the Bride and 1951's Father's Little Dividend, displayed his dancing chops on screen for the first time at 19 in 1954's Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, became an Oscar nominee at just 23 for his supporting turn in 1957's Paid in Place, sang and danced as the leader of the Jets in an eventual Best Picture Oscar winner, 1961's West Side Story, gave a dramatic turn on both incarnations of David Lynch's TV classic Twin Peaks from 1990 to 1991, and then again in 2017, continued acting well into the 21st century opposite the likes of Ryan Gosling in 2011's Drive, and under the direction of Quentin Tarantino in 2012's Django Unchained, and the list goes on. I'm talking, of course, about the great Russ, or as he was known at the start of his career, Rusty Tamblin. Over the course of our conversation at the wonderful TCM Classic Film Festival in Hollywood, the 88-year-old and I discussed how he broke into the business and held his own alongside the likes of Cecil B. DeMille and Spencer Tracy, all before he cracked puberty, how a guy who had been a tumbler and a gymnast came to be an outstanding dancer, why, as he entered his 30s, having already achieved so much, he decided to drop out of the business, and what later brought him back, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. All right, Mr. Tamlin, thank you so much for doing this. Great to have you on the Hollywood Reporters podcast. And um, on this one, we go through the major moments in each guest's life and career. So can we start with the first one? Where were you born and raised and what did your parents do for a living? I was born in uh, Los Angeles, California, and at an early age. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, my parents, uh, my mother just was a housewife, and my father uh, worked in, of course, originally he was in show business, and uh, he was a Broadway a performer, but now he worked in a, a, an aircraft, uh, I think it was like North American or one of those plants that he yeah. was a... He worked there, yeah. and I'm not sure what all he did. Sure, sure. But he, um, I guess because of his experience, it sounded from what I read prepping for this that he was not interested in his kid getting into showbiz, right? Yes, that's very true. He was not interested mainly in, in dancing, I guess. My mother um, uh, took me to see him. Well, and he may have gone, but they, they showed one of his old movies in this uh, theater in Inglewood. And uh, so I went there and saw him on the big screen, and I said, oh, I just want to be like that, you know. <laughs> he, he was so big, and it was uh, it was so much fun, and and I and he danced in it, and and that's why I wanted to take dancing. But uh, my mother didn't did, but he didn't want me to take dancing. Didn't want me to follow him. But my mother started me in dancing anyway, and finally told him when I did my first. I did a concert, uh, you know, for kids. We, we we went around doing lots of concerts at the hospitals and uh, 
clubs and things like that. So he finally uh, went and saw me in one, and then and, and then he then he was like a big supporter. Yeah. Well, so you were clearly from a very early age. I think I had read. I don't know. Was it eight or nine? You were. You were dancing very well and or at least tumbling maybe you can explain that's not a term many people know tap dancing i took tap dancing um which is a lot different than than uh, modern dancing you know so uh i started taking tap dancing lessons and uh, and did really well at it for a couple of years from this uh a teacher named bob cole had a studio in uh, england in inglewood mm-hmm. in inglewood and uh and then i learned everything that he taught me so he said listen i can't teach you anymore but he said i want you to go work for this i i, I recommend that you go and take lessons from the teacher that i worked with for a long time whose name was willie cole van and uh willie was in los angeles and he was and he actually had a, a tour uh, he, he, he it was called the, the covans and they had a, a an act for a while and it was uh and he was great and he was a great tap dancer terrific a black man and and he's old and he worked with a cane you know and he used to tap his foot and and, and knew the cane and that's how uh that that's how we I learned to tap, and he was different than most tap dancers. Sort of hop a lot, you know. And his stuff was all like down on the floor, and it was more like heel and toe work, you know, with lots of lots of stuff on the floor. And that's how I learned to to tap dance. It was great. So, can you connect the dots about how dance leads to acting? I had read that maybe Lloyd Bridges played a part in this. Yes, he played a big part. He was actually. Um, the first uh the the first director that i worked for he he had a play uh he, he, that uh, uh someone else wrote but he was directing it at the cornet theater on la Cienega. and uh so i went in audition for it and uh got, and lloyd gave me the part and it was a great part of a young boy named Pai-Ai. Mm-hmm. and um and it was about a bunch of kids that go to this uh go to this park place and uh and i end up uh getting killed in it you know so it was a very dramatic Dramatic, part and it was uh that really got started and and it was a couple of directors and producers that uh that saw the play and brought me to audition for uh uh, for cecil b demel and uh well and that's i mean i don't know if anyone else alive today can talk about working for Cecil B. DeMille. So I've <laughs> got to ask you, um, I mean, first of all, were, were the kind of the legend is that he's walking around with these high socks and the speaker phone and you know what I mean? The, uh, is all, it was all of that true? This showmanship? It he, was definitely true. Oh and not God. only that, but a riding crop <laughs> and he had, you know, tight pants at the bottom and, and right. boots. And, uh, he was quite a, a character. He was, the only other one I worked that was as much of a character was John Ford. Who yeah, was, great. We'll who get to also, him. Yeah. But that was uh, later on. Well, but with DeMille, you, so you go into Paramount, you audition for Samson and Delilah. Did you even know? I know they had a thing, I think they called it the fishbowl, where people would go and audition in front of the mirror, not knowing it was a two-way mirror. Was That's that- exactly right. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I, I auditioned with uh, another uh, actor, I guess, that was under contract. can't even remember his name now, but he was under contract to Paramount, and... Um, and he, uh, uh, and it was just the two of us in this room, uh, and, and but there, and there was a huge, big uh, one-way mirror, you know, yeah. one-way glass. So uh, it was pretty much known that somebody was going to be behind there. I didn't know if the mill was going to be there or not, but uh, we did the interview and uh, we did the audition and. Uh, and I had memorized the the words and everything, so and it was a scene that he played, uh, the, the actor played uh, Samson, and yeah. and so I did the interview, and when I finished, uh, the door opened, and out walked Demille, and he said, "You've got the part, son," <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of a long career. Yeah, but that didn't start for a long time. There was also an agent, uh, a talent scout from RKO that. Um, that brought me to audition for uh, the boy with green hair, and and that 
came first. That was actually the first uh, uh, film that I did. And I think the the main legacy of that one, if I'm correct, is that you and another child actor, Dean Stockwell, became very good friends. Very good. In yeah. fact, we we lived together at one point later on. We became good friends on that one. And uh, and I have a funny story that uh, he was the boy with green hair, of course, and and he had a scene in there where they where they cut his hair off, and I happened to be there, so I grabbed a bunch of it and stuck it in my pocket, <laughs> and it was like years and years later uh, we we were living together, and and so I. Uh, I, it was his birthday coming up, and I just happened to find the green hair. And <laughs> I looked in an old box, and uh, I found the green hair and and put it in a card and, and gave it to him. And that's he was, great. He said, "This is the same." And I said, "Yeah, that, <laughs> that's it." And then another funny thing that happened is uh, one day we were we were living in Laurel Canyon, yeah. And we drove down Laurel Canyon, and uh, uh, we were going to the market, and we stopped at a stoplight. And, uh, and and it was a red light, and we stopped there at the red light, and the car pulled up next to us. I was in the passenger seat. Dean mm-hmm. was driving. And I looked over, and I saw this kid driving the car had green hair. <laughs> and, and so uh, so I punched Dean, you know, and I sort of elbowed him and said, Dean, look at that. Do you believe it? <laughs> this kid had green hair. So we were both staring at him for a minute, and the kid rolled his window down and said, what's the matter? Haven't you seen anybody with green hair before? <laughs> That's and great. That was as much as we said, but I thought when we were driving away, I thought, oh, man, I could have told him. I said, as a matter of fact, yes, yes. <laughs> and this guy sitting next to me is the first boy the that first one. ever yeah, did that, exactly. and he had green hair before you were born. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Now, to come back, so that came out first. Samson and Delilah then comes out in 1949. And like a lot of people who I think were child actors, um, there are, it seems like there are mixed experiences, mixed aspects of it, right? So on the one hand, you're leading probably a more exciting life than your peers. On the other hand, it's work and sometimes people aren't always that nice. I guess that was kind of what happened with DeMille, right? Yes, that is what happened. I had to do a scene with uh, uh, where I come up to Samson, and 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 it was more than just us. It was they had it was a it was a there were like hundreds of extras all sitting up in the uh, in the balconies, and uh, uh, Demille had two people that walked around with him, and one held a microphone. So every time he opened up, you know, the guy would hold a microphone. And the other guy uh, held a chair, and you know, it better be there. Or yeah. It always was, because DeMille wouldn't even look. He would just sit down, and the chair was there. So so I had, I had to do this scene where I come up to uh, Samson, the Victor Mature mm-hmm. played Samson, and I had to walk up to him and, and, uh, and grab his arms and say, Samson, um, I've got my slingshot on my head. And I had a slingshot on my uh, wrapped around the, my head. And I said, I've got my slingshot on my head. We can fight our way out of here, you know, what, which is what a kid would say. Right. And uh, he, and then he'd say, no, no, uh, Saul. Uh, I hear many voices. Is the temple filled? Packed like wheat in a shop. Then go. I've got my sling on my head. We could fight our way out. No, sir. Take Marion and leave the temple. But Samson! So I did it, and when I did it, and the first time and the camera was over here, and I said, I've got a slingshot on my head. And so, you know, DeMille said, oh, cut, cut. And he came and he said, listen, Russ, Rusty called me. Don't, uh, he said, don't cover your face. When you touch the slingshot, touch it in the back or the side so that I can see you in the camera. And I said, okay. And there was all this commotion going on and and lighting. And, and that 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 went all over the uh, the studio because the guy was speaking, you know, was holding the microphone and DeMille was speaking to everybody and the whole thing. So we did the scene again and I just forgot it. And I did the same thing again. You know, I touched it. And so he said, cut, cut. And he came in and he said, Russ. Rusty says, I told you, don't put your hand here. And he sort of slapped my hand and he said, put it in the back. And he slapped it in the back of my hand. And and it really uh, sh- 
shocked me, and I started to cry. I was only like 10 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. So I started to cry. I wondered where my mother was at right, this point. Right, But, you know, I think I asked her later, where were you? Yeah. She says, you think I'm going to go up to Cecil B. <laughs> the Mill and tell him what to do? Right. <laughs> well, uh, it's just amazing how much you were you know, producing in terms of just film work in those years when, again, you're not even a teenager yet. Uh, I just want to mention a few things. And if you if something comes to mind that you can share about it, I mean, Gun Crazy is now considered one of the great film noir movies ever. And it's John Dahl and Peggy Cummins. But you're the young John Dahl in that movie. Right. Yeah. Anything that stands out to you about your work on that one in 19, came out well, in 1950? What, what really stands out to me, well, a couple of things stands out in that movie. Um, the, the, Joseph Lewis w- yeah. was the director of that film, and uh, I did a couple of films for him. But he became sort of like my mentor in a way, and I used to go to his house and have wow. dinner, and I knew his daughter uh, well. And, uh, and we used to go to movies and things like that. And... Uh, I used to see him, so I really liked him. I really liked him, and I liked his direction. And he he gave me a, a great direction. I remember that uh, I had to. Uh, we did a scene in that where where I had a gun, uh, I had a rifle, and it was with another a couple of guys. And there was uh, see what the hell was it? I guess it was like a a mountain lion that we that we spotted mm-hmm. and so I take the gun up and look and I can't shoot it you know and mm-hmm. I, um, I can't shoot it and uh, he said and so he said did you ever have a an, did you ever have a chance with an animal or something that that you couldn't shoot like that and I said no but I had a I did my parents did let me have a BB gun, and I shot a bird one time. Uh, it was sitting up on, a, on on the wires, and and I just I shot up and hit him, and he fell down, and I started to cry because I didn't didn't know didn't mean to kill yeah, him, yeah. and you know. So that was the first time he said, "Well, just think of that when you're holding the the gun." So right. I did, and the the scene uh, the scene turned out great. Yeah, and and in that film, by the way, was one of the one of the keys things that happened because of uh, of a timeline uh, was this bank robbery that John Dahl and oh, Peggy yeah. Cummins did and they couldn't uh, and, and they was running out of time and it was a big scene where they had to go and then they had to do a shot of the thing running and everything and the, a guy coming out and, and, and he was waiting in the car and they said, you got to shoot this in, in a morning, you know, in one morning, you yeah. got to shoot it. By noon, we got to get out of there. Yeah. We can't afford to, to, to stay there all day. So he put the camera in the back of the car. And I don't know if you remember I that. Scene. It was an incredible scene. Totally. It was in the back of this back seat of this car. And it followed them sort of ad living. I turned right up here, you know, and, and the all the way to the bank. And then they kept the camera in there when he went in or she went in. And uh, it was a just an incredible scene and they came running out into the car totally. and hopped in it and off we uh or off they they ran yeah, I, yeah. no it's, it's a great one great incredible scene now the same year that gun crazy came out was the year that father of the bride came out and then a year later the sequel to that father's little dividend and i just want to remind people you are playing the youngest son of Spencer Tracy in this, you are playing the younger brother of Elizabeth Taylor. This is Vincent Minnelli directing. This is some pretty heady company. Were you, yeah. did you kind of realize how big a deal these people were, even though you were still so young? Yeah, I did. I think by then, I, I think I was 14 or something. So I pretty well knew that, uh, and that Spencer Tracy was his huge star, you know, and, yeah. and he, and the, the, the first scene I remember that we did, um, I didn't have anything to say in it, but but Tracy uh, had a big speech where he comes in, uh, where he comes in, and 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 we were all there waiting for him, and finally he came in, and he was kind of mumbling and walking around and saying, "Now where do I, where do I go over here in Middle East?" He said, "Well, you stand there, and then you come over here, okay, and then what do I say?" I said, "There, all right, and move over and say this over here, and 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 what's the line?" And as I gives him the line, he says, "Okay, I can't remember that," and 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 then he goes back. 
And it was like a, a big scene. And, and I thought, oh, my God, we're going to be here all day. You know, he's going to take forever to do this. Right. So finally, Manili says, OK, do you want to run through it now? Uh, run through it. And he said, no, let's just go for it. So uh, they said action. They turned the camera on. And he just killed it. He just did everything exactly right. You know, it was just, I was just. He was hustling you guys. <laughs> oh yeah. I, he must've been yeah. because, uh, I guess that's the way he sort of prepares right. And he sort of all, always ad libbed a little bit anyway. Yeah. Uh, that is to make it fresh and. Now you and Elizabeth Taylor must've been roughly contemporaries, right? Were you at, at the MGM? I know you didn't sign with MGM until after That's right. that, but were, when you're making that movie, were you obligated to be in school at the MGM school? Yes, there? I was. I was in school uh, with her, and it was her last uh, last year, and I even went to her graduation oh, cool. a party. And, you know, I've, I've, I've written my memoirs now for the last 25 years, yes. and uh, I, I have a picture of us at, at her graduation in the schoolhouse, and there was myself and Dean Stockwell, well, and an actor named Claude Jarman yeah, Jr., who did the movie called The yeah, Yearling, yeah. and uh, and Elizabeth, and um, so I knew her in that in that schoolhouse mm-hmm. for the time, and I had to stay in that schoolhouse for the for the remainder of that uh, movie. Well, so was it because of the success of the two Father of the Bride films that you now get essentially? put under contract to MGM. This was at a time, as our listeners may or may not remember, the studio system, the studio kind of owned you, but it wasn't probably such a bad thing to be owned by MGM if you had to be owned it by- It was great, yeah. but I but I didn't uh, uh, get signed under contract because of those uh, two films. I actually went and did and did a couple of other movies, mm-hmm. uh, The Kid from Cleveland and uh, a couple of others, I think. Oh, yeah, think. Retreat Hell would have been one of those, right? Well, Retreat Hell, yeah, that was for Warner Brothers. Okay. And Retreat Hell, uh, the and the director of that was Joseph Lewis, oh, yeah. who I did Gun Crazy yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. And he took the film, Retreat Hell, and he took it to MGM, and uh, uh, he ran it for MGM for Dory Sherry, who was running the studio at that time. And it was Sherry who looked at it, and they were looking for new uh, actors to put under contract, and so I was one of them and they uh, signed me under contract and that's when uh, it was after that that I uh, that I worked at MGM and yeah. s- started working as a contract now player. do you know I guess you're saying that Lewis was fond of you maybe is that the reason why he would have said to Dory Sherry at a totally different studio check out this movie maybe to check out this kid uh yeah, I think so. He, he ran it and and it was and then my it was like my agent that I had got an a- agent by that yeah. time. And my agent said uh that they've offered you a contract and and uh, because of Retreat Hell, that picture. And and that the part that I had in Retreat Hell was great. I played a young Marine. And first they didn't even wanna they didn't want me. I found out later that they wanted to, they thought I looked too young to play a Marine. And Joseph Lewis actually stood up for me and told the studio, listen, I'm not going to do the film if you don't, you know, if you don't hire this, uh, this boy, he's a great actor. And so, uh, that's how I got the part. And, uh, it's good to have and, a champion. In Retreat yeah. Hill. And I had yeah. a great scene in it where I go to find my brother. He's someplace and there are a bunch of, uh, uh and we shot it at Camp Pendleton and, and a, a lot of the, uh, 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 all of the the scene contained all these dead bodies, and uh, my brother was one of them. So I had to lean over this. Uh, I had to lean over this one marine and and uh, and cry mm-hmm. and. Uh, and he started to laugh, I think, and and so they cut, and the, the sergeant that was in charge of the of that patrol that said, "Listen, you guys, you're you're leaving in two weeks to go to Korea, so you better uh, you be, it's not so funny as you think it is." Yeah. And so we got through the scene, and 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 oddly enough, uh, the. Uh, the, the whole platoon was killed in uh, in the battle, so that was kind of right. tragic. Well, so at MGM, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was even necessarily your first movie, but the first movie for MGM that really 
popped, I think, would be Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. No, actually, yep. I, the the first film I did there was called Take the High Ground. Okay. And that was uh, an army movie about it, you know, with Richard Widmark and uh, and Carl Mullen. Sure. And, and I played a, uh, and it was about young boys uh, becoming soldiers and, you know, becoming becoming soldiers. So that was my first one. And it was after that that uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers uh, came up. And I got that by accident because the uh, the director, actually the, the, the uh, choreographer, Michael Kidd, wanted all the brothers, except for Howard Keel, but the six brothers, uh, he wanted all of them to be uh, great dancers. Mm-hmm. But what happened was is uh, the studio said, no, you, you've got to have at least two of them. You can have four great dancers, and then you've got to get used two of our actors Who are that, under are contract. Under, that are under contract. So the two actors were Jeff Richards, who hated dancing. <laughs> he, he thought all dancers were sissies, and uh, and he hated hated it. But and I was the other one, right? And now we, they didn't know that you actually could dance. Well, that I did. I couldn't do that kind of dancing, though. But I did. Uh, but I was a street dancer, you know, and I could move around great. And I'd been a tumbler in high school, a right. good one. So uh, he said, I heard you're a tumbler. And I said, yeah. And I, so I did a backflip for him right away. He says, oh, my God, that's great. We're gonna, I'm doing this big number called a barn dance number. And uh, I can use you in that. And I said, well, wait a minute, Michael. I, I, I can't dance with Jacques Dembois from the New York City Ballet and Mark Platt and uh, Matt Maddox, uh, Tommy Rawl. I said, these guys are, in, you know, are great dancers. And he said, this is just square dancing. And uh, so he talked me into it. And and uh, and I did it, and oddly enough, I was um, I kind of stood out, yeah. Because the in the movie in Seven Brides, we were all these backwoodsmen, and uh, and and they were all ballet dancers, and there was a number in there called Going Courting, where Janie Powell teaches us, you know, how to dance, and right. and I was the only one that looked like he didn't <laughs> know how to dance. Everyone else stood up, you know, in right. a perfect in a fifth position, and. Uh, <laughs> And so it was pretty funny that uh, that I ended, I ended up in that dance, just jumping up and down and then falling down. And uh, Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it was a great part. Well, we should remind people this is Gideon Pontipi. He's the youngest of the seven backwoodsmen who go out looking for brides, right? And uh, I want to come back to that barn dance number, though, because you're saying, you know, you you weren't a... A professional dancer in the way that some of these other guys were, but it's pretty unbelievable the degree to which, like, what you guys all did uh, in that in that scene. And so, I wonder if you can talk about. I had read that Donnan, who obviously had worked very closely with Gene Kelly, brought Gene Kelly in to kind of see what you guys could do. He he. After we learned that number. Uh, I think like the last day we came back from lunch and Michael Kidd was late coming in. And when he did come in, he came in with Gene Kelly and uh, he introduced Gene to all all the cast and they said he wants to see the number. So we were all really excited that we were going to do it for Gene Kelly. And uh, we did went through the whole number and uh, as much of it as we could, except that uh, um, one of the one of the dancers had to get up on on a well and 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 he was on a rope. He's the only one that did a, did that had to be uh, on a trick. So he didn't do that trick. But anyway, we finished the number, and and we and when we finished, Gene Kelly looked at us all and he said, "That was great, you guys." He said, "There's nothing left for you to do but bleed." <laughs> I'll never forget That's that a line. Pretty, pretty nice person to get a compliment from. Um, so for somebody who, again, I know you, even now you say, you know, you kind of downplay your your dancing, but you worked with just about every great choreographer there was. And so we've talked about Michael Kidd, who was one of the best. Now I got to ask you about Hermes Pan, yeah. uh, who I think was, was Astaire's choreographer. He was Fred Astaire's choreographer almost all of his movies, but... And now you're like do. just a year after... Seven Brides, you guys are together on Hit the Deck. Was what was was he? You know, if you could sort of say like uh, maybe you know what made Michael Kidd special versus what made Hermes Pan special. Is there anything you can? 
point out that you remember? Well, they both were uh, they both were really nice guys, uh, and nice choreographers, and easy to get along with, and and very different from like uh, Jerome Robbins, who was <laughs> a jerk, who was pretty nasty at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. And if you missed a step too many times, he'd make you sit in a corner with like a dunce. You know? Oh my God! And we'll get, we'll of course come to him. And, but... and then also Alex Romero, you know. And I for years I told people I'd never danced, and uh, when they would ask me, and he said, "Well, wait a minute, didn't you work for Hermes Pan and Alex Romero and Jerome Robbins, uh, Michael King, and Hermes yeah. Pan, Michael King, all of them?" And I said, yes, I did. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, then you not only... Uh you not only had dance experience, but you worked with the masters. Totally. And I thought about that, and I thought, yeah, well, that's true. That's <laughs> So I never again said I'd never studied dancing. Right, you know. good. It was well, on-the-job training. That's it. Now, with for Hit the Deck, you win a Golden Globe for Most Promising Newcomer, doing more incredible dancing the next year in The Fastest Gun Alive. I think on shovels you're dancing. Yeah. I mean, this is, so it's building and building. Uh, also, I think chronologically around that time would have been when you were kind of unofficially consulted by uh, a person to help him learn how to dance for a movie. Was there, were you uh, approached by one Elvis Presley? Oh, yeah. Um not so much a pro. I, I, it kind of happened. He was. I met him before when he was at MGM uh, doing uh, when he was going to do Jailhouse Rock. But he used to come to my beach house uh, all the time. And um, but 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 I went on the set because Alex Romero was uh, a, a good friend of mine. You know, had uh, done the choreography for a couple of films, and uh, and that's where. Uh, when Elvis was there, I was on the set, and, and, and I knew we were, like, sort of friends then. So um, he said, listen, can you – do you think you could help me with a couple of steps? And I said, sure. So we went in the, in, in the back of the hall. and So I helped him with his legs, oddly enough, <laughs> and the thing he was famous for. Right. I got, got it got – he would do that thing where with the knee would go into the other like right, that, you right. know, and, so I worked with him and I showed him how to do it even easier and a little bigger than he was doing it. Yeah. He was doing it kind of small and I made him do it. Didn't make him, but I suggested he do it bigger. That's cool. So I actually co-created, uh, you know, choreographed it. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, what did it mean to you a year later, you've got paid in place and you are just to remind folks playing this guy, Norman, sort of shy uh, emotionally abused by his mother. Just a, it's a, it's a different sort of part than I think anyone had seen you play. And you get nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Did true. that mean a lot to you to have yeah, that kind it, of recognition? Well, from it here? did. Yeah. It did. But uh, I, you know, later on, uh, many years later, I thought, you know, I wish that have waited a little longer before. Uh, I, w I wish I, you know, before I got nominated because. Uh, I was very young at that time, mm -hmm. very, I think I was like 19 or 20 or something, but uh, that's really too young to get an Academy Award nomination. In the sense that it's just hard to then find another great role right after, do you mean? Or like hard to capitalize on the nomination? It's hard to appreciate yeah. uh, what a what a big deal it was right. to get nominated, uh, you know, and it was, uh, it was very, very exciting. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, just I, I know we, we're not going to do every year of your life, but that you've had so much that you packed in. I got to yeah. mention the year that you were nominated was also the year that you're in, probably having already shot prior to the nomination, but you're in a, a movie that's sort of got a cult following now as, uh, you know, uh, just a, a snapshot of, of social attitudes at the time. This is High School Confidential, oh, yeah. and <laughs> you're playing a, a police informant who infiltrates a drug ring. God forbid, uh, you know, marijuana be smoked anywhere. Uh, do you, would you ever have imagined that that's a movie that we'd be talking about 65 years later? No, I would never have imagined it. But it was it was great fun. And I became friends with Jackie Coogan on that, who was one of the actors in the movie. And we used to smoke pot together. <laughs> in fact, when I went in the Army, uh, when I went in the Army, he said, oh, I'll send you some when you're in the Army. And I was in the Army in Oklahoma, and sure enough, a cake arrived one day. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and it didn't even say who it was from except oh I it was his character and I forget what his character's name was in that now uh, oh he sent it as the name of the guy he played it yeah in so it said that and I looked at it and thought oh my God that must be <laughs> that must be Jackie and so you know I cut open the cake and there was a bag of pot. <laughs> I can talk about that now. Yeah, you know, that's now great. It's yeah nobody cares anymore. Nobody cares anymore. <laughs> now, there were a couple of movies in which you played Tom Thumb for George Pell. There's Tom Thumb in 58. There's The Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm a lot in of movies. 62. This is amazing. Just the variety and all of that. I know it was not a, I guess it, I was going to say it's a small part, but that could be interpreted I've, multiple. I've used that so many times when somebody said, you were in Tom Thumb. I said, yeah, that was one of my smaller parts. And sometimes people don't even get it. Right, you know, they, right, right. Well, this, though, brings us to the one that probably for eternity, I would imagine, you'll be most associated with, and that is West Side Story. And I, you know, if anyone uh, has been living under a rock for the last 60 whatever years, we'll just remind them you are Riff, who is the leader of the Jets, who the first person we see in the movie when it starts, and basically this whole sequence that leads up to you coming face to face with George Shakiris as the leader of the Sharks. Bernardo. Bernardo, yeah. yes. You were 22, I believe, when that movie was m- made. Boy, I don't remember how old I was. But I, I think I was older. Maybe even a little older. I may have been. I don't remember now. But, but. You, you had... I, the thing that... that uh, it's one of these crazy things, I guess, in life that it almost didn't happen because you were already cast in Where the Boys Are, right? No, what happened was is <laughs> it's very funny is that I actually tested for the part of Tony, which was you know it's which was the Romeo Romeo yeah, and Juliet, yeah. and Natalie Wood was uh, Juliet. I actually tested for that part, and I even Got tested it. with actresses that uh, were up for the part of. Uh, of Maria and uh, and MGM let me go and uh, and practice, but finally uh, Robert Wise, who we happened to had the same agent, so I was calling him all the time, asking him, you know, how, how close is it? Uh, and he said, "Well, you're still in the mix." And then finally he called one time and said, uh, "Oh, I'm sorry, but they they gave the uh, part of uh, of Tony to." Uh, Another actor to Richard Beamer, mm-hmm. and uh, but they've offered you the part, the role of uh, Riff, and uh, I was just astonished. I said, "Riff?" I said, "That never ever occurred to me." And he said, "Well, <laughs> do you want to do it or not?" And I said, "Yes." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I jumped at it. So that was the first, uh, the first time that. Uh, that I had a, a meeting with uh, uh, Jerome Robbins, and, and and Jerry said to me the first time when I when I went in and, and met him, and and uh, after I got the part of Riff, and he said, "Now I got to tell you right off," he said, "I've seen your movies, and you've always done acrobatic dancing in there." And I said, "There'll be no acrobats." He said, "Riff is not a tumbler, mm-hmm. and so you're going to have to do all straight dancing." And it wasn't until we went way overboard, way over the time uh, in New York, we spent a couple of months mm-hmm. and and the studio was furious because it, it was 
they, they were running out of money. Yeah. I, so they said, so they fired uh, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. And it was his assistant, Tony Mordente, mm-hmm. uh, who said, let's put some tumbling back in the movie. And okay. so I did a tumbling in the... But just to go backwards for a second, first of all, had you seen, I mean, West Side Story had been a, a hit on Broadway, right? Yeah. Years before the, the movie. Were, were, had you happened to see it or did you know basically what you were um, No, I saw part? it. You did. And I was in the Army there, but I went there on a, on a tour in the Army, um, not for any Army reason, but there was, I had another movie uh, coming out. I can't remember what it was, but I went on tour. I think it was Tom Thumb. To New York, I, That yeah. I went, and I, I went to several cities, and one of them, New York, mm-hmm. and... Uh, that's when I saw the play, and I just fell in love with the the part of Tony. Yeah. And I learned uh, something's coming, and I learned learned his songs, and went back and used to play it and study it. And so that's what MGM sent me over to uh, Warner Brothers to uh, uh, to audition with actresses that were up up for the part of right. Maria. And then finally they gave the part. Well, I think I said to Beamer, yeah, repeat myself no, to no, Beamer. Okay. But when they offered me the part of Riff, I said, great, I'll do it. But the studio turned it down. MGM, who you were still under yeah. contract to, didn't want you to go to Fox to do West Side Story? Right. Unless did, you were the lead. Unless I was the lead. So, um, And I was furious, and I wanted to do it so badly that that I finally made an appointment with... Uh, who was running the studio though? No, it was what a, was it? Benny Thaw would have Benny been. Thaw. Yeah. 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 And and Benny and I went in his big office and walked down in his big desk and <laughs> and uh, he said, Now listen, Russ, he said, I know you want to do this movie, but he said, We you can't do it. We, we and, and these are the lines you have to read, you know. My my father wears a dress, my mother whatever, all those lines, you know. Kindly, Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand It's just our bringing up key that gets us out of hand Our mothers all are junkies, our fathers all are drunks Golly Moses, naturally we're punks Gee, Officer Krupke, we're very upset We never had the love that every child ought to get We ain't no delinquents, we're misunderstood Deep down inside us, there is good There is good, there is good and he said, so you have all these things and you have a good reputation here and you, we don't want you doing this. And we put you in a movie that we think will be really better for you called Where the Boys Are okay. and uh, with Connie Francis. And uh, that'll be much better for you. So they actually had me uh, cast for that movie. I was never in it. Oh, my God. So- Not only wasn't I in it, I never saw it. <laughs> But here's the weird thing. I, I got later on, I got started getting residuals and lots of thousands and thousands of dollars for that movie. And I was I never even was on the set. Well, I'm glad. That's good. That's uh, <laughs> I hope you spent it, had fun with it. But now, how, so what did you say to Benny Thought to, to change his mind? Well, I told him, I said, please, I, Benny, I really, really want to do it. And then, you know, I found out later that uh, then somebody from in the studio, someone told me later that was one of the executives at MGM said, well, the reason that they didn't want you to do it is they, were, they, were, they wanted to get more money. So uh-huh. they ended up, uh, they, they ended up, because I was under contract, right. I was making my usual 2000 a week or yeah, whatever yeah. it was. And so they uh, they got like 7500 So they got all the extra <laughs> it, yeah, uh, money for that. Out, and then yeah. it was for a long shoot. Oh, my gosh. So I said, well, you know, what the hell? They're not, that made me not care so much right. about taking the residuals yeah, for a right, movie exactly. I never did. <laughs> now, what's it like working for two directors? Because we had Robert Wise, who I think was primarily doing the non-dancing stuff and then Jerome Robbins who's doing the dancing stuff but did they get along would they both be there for everything what was your experience with the two of them well they had a, a, a the agreement was that um, that Jerome Robbins would uh, direct the dancers and the mm-hmm. dance routines and Robert Wise would dr- direct the uh, drama mm-hmm. so all of the the drama in it was directed by by Bob mm-hmm. and as you sort of referenced a little while ago, it doesn't sound like it was, you know, uh, we all know it turned out to be this great classic movie, but it wasn't a particularly smooth experience making it. I just want to, you mentioned they went over budget uh, and got shut down for a little while. 
you've talked about the fact that for whatever reason they chose to shoot in the hottest part of the summer. Yeah, true. Like over a hundred degrees, I heard at times. Uh, they had to pay off the gangs, I guess, around Lincoln Center area. What's now Lincoln there was, Center? Well, it wasn't gangs. It was a gang that uh, that 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 area that was sort of controlled that area. Yeah. So we hired them to uh, to watch the set, uh. and uh, so they were around all the time, and they were a gang. And uh, then somebody sort of there was a knife fight. I remember somebody got stabbed uh, that that was trying to get in on, on the set, and <laughs> and the gang stabbed them. So it was kind of a little never a uh, tragic. Yeah. Never a dull moment. Well, but. and then the 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 biggest problem. It sounds like we had. Rita Moreno on the podcast a couple of years ago, and she's talking as you have, as has everybody, that Jerome Robbins was just basically an SOB. So what? What he was just? Do you think he was just a sadistic guy, or what was it? Well, it wasn't even our opinion. I mean, there was a book called uh, uh, "Dancing with Demons" <laughs> that was about uh, uh, Jerome Robbins, and he had a, and, and I think because he was, uh, uh, he had this. He was gay, and but he had this masculine problem that he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to be uh, straight, but yeah. couldn't, he just couldn't uh, uh, do it. So I think he took, that's why he took out a lot of the uh, he, at meanness at, at time. He just would, he would get mean. If somebody missed a step, they'd have to sit in the corner, you know. Or I'd, I'd heard that sometimes you guys would spend forever on a dance routine and then he'd ask you to do it on the other foot. Yeah. What's that about? That Oh, boy. That's one of the reasons why we went overboard. Yeah. Or over... Budget, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is because of that, uh, where we had to dance all the way down the, the street. And uh, and he said, I'd like to see all see all of you do it on the other foot. And boy, for a dancer, I mean, that's uh, you got to be a, a really good dancer to do that. Unbelievable. But uh, so everybody had to study and and do it, and uh, so he was kind of crazy like that. I yeah. thought he was uh, he was overrated in a lot of ways yeah. because the actual film itself was even without him was. Uh, even after they fired him, I mean, you know, the film still came out, came out well. Yeah, and I guess the first time you might have really realized that for yourself would be uh, sort of a premiere. And I we talked earlier about a great compliment you got from Gene Kelly. If Gene Kelly's not the best movie dancer ever, it probably is Fred Astaire. And I think he was at that premiere of West Side Story too, right? I was at that premiere, and I was in the movie, and it was it was called an invitational premiere. Yeah. So everybody from the business, the producers, directors, actors, uh, they all came and filled up the theater. It was at the Carthay Circle. It's not there anymore, but. Uh, when the movie ended and everybody stood up and gave it a standing ovation and we were walking out and people were saying, Russ, Russ, and capping me on the shoulder and saying, gee, that was uh, that was a great performance, a great movie and everything. It's thank you, thank you, thank you. And then finally I got a tap on the shoulder and I turned around and it was Fred Astaire. And I, <laughs> and I looked at him and he said to me, he said, Russ, I got to tell you something. He said, I'm a big fan of your dancing. And I was like, what? That doesn't get and better And that's all that, I could right? think of the rest of the day. I and bet. I went home at night and told my wife, I said, I can't believe it. You know, Fred Astaire says he's a fan of my dancing. That's awesome. That's quite so a compliment. He was, uh, well, so we mentioned that Robbins was a bit sadistic. Another person who I've learned had a pretty sadistic streak, I, I just introduced a, over at the Hollywood Legion Theater as part of this festival, a screening of Mr. Roberts, which was directed initially by John Ford before he got taken off that movie for, you know, he claimed he had gallbladder issues or something, but he was really just being terrible towards the actors. <laughs> and apparently that was also the case on How the West Was Won with the guy who he's most closely associated with, John Wayne. Everybody thinks it's this great relationship. You were in that movie playing a Confederate deserter. What did you see? Well, I saw... I saw him treating John Wayne like nobody else was ever allowed to, <laughs> that nobody else did. But but I saw him, and I, I was in a scene with Wayne, and we're, uh, kind of at a distance, I was going to shoot him. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and didn't get out. They shot me, uh, George Papard uh, shot me instead. Yes. But... Uh, 
I heard him directing Wayne, and, he, and you know, they say, "Cut!" They say, "John, Jesus Christ, when in the fuck are you going to learn how to? When are you going to learn how to act?" You, you know? And I, oh my God, he's talking to John Wayne, right? And, and John is, Wayne said, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir." You know? And, he just took it. Oh yeah, totally took it. Wow! And this is after they've already been working. I mean, it, I think the first time they worked together was Stagecoach. That's twenty-three years earlier. So after twenty-three years. He's still giving him yeah. crap. Wow. And, and he was quite a character. He he had a scarf that he wore. He had a patch over his eye yeah. and had a, a, a uh, and he had a handkerchief in his pocket. And when you were acting, and he used to come over with it and wipe makeup on you, you know. And <laughs> Oh, my goodness. So he was quite a character. Now, you didn't, I don't know, I, I guess you worked twice with, at least twice with, uh, Joseph H. Lewis, we talked about. I don't know how many others you worked multiple times with, but one of them for sure is Robert Wise because you guys did West Side Story, comes out and in 61, and then The Haunting in 63. But I know I've heard you talk about it. It's now, I think you say, one of, their, one of your favorites that you did, but you didn't want to do it when they first asked you to do it, right? Uh, yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's true. I read it and and didn't like the part. I was just dumb on my part, uh, because the, it was the one character in the in the movie that. Uh, that, that didn't believe in ghosts, you know, and had no, uh, and just wanted to sell it for its, uh, uh, for the money. Right. Because I was this, I guess I was the nephew who, yeah, I was a nephew. The heir to the mansion. Who was yeah. the heir to the mansion. Yeah. And um, so that was pretty, you know, pretty weird. It was a part that I did not want to do and, and turned it down. And MGM said, no, you will do this movie <laughs> or we'll put you on suspension. Right. Which meant you get no, no money from them for so a good. long time. Yeah. So I said, "All right, I'll do it." And, and actually, I flew back to the states. Cause I was making that uh, the other uh, Connie Francis movie that uh, uh, I ended up doing yeah. called uh, "Follow the Boys." Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> maybe that's where they got the residuals mixed up. <laughs> it, it, I don't know what. what no, because I was. Definitely. He said, we've already put planned to put you in uh, where the boys are. So I was on the payroll. What a great clerical yeah. error. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great. I didn't cash the checks for a long time. <laughs> I waited for about a year. Right. And I thought, you know, in case they're going to say, oh, we made a mistake here. You Too late. <laughs> well, so I finally cashed them. So that MGM contract, which you signed, I think, initially in 52 it ends in six, it, it can't, you know, I guess, I don't know if it was always set to end at a certain time, but it ended, I think, in 64. Now, it seems like around that time, maybe you were growing a little bit disillusioned with acting or at least in, in, enchanted by other things. Because to use your words and a, a phrase that I guess it's less known today, but like essentially you dropped out. What did that, what did that mean and why did that happen? Well, I did. It was actually it was later than that that I dropped out. I, I was in the army for two years of the get contract uh, uh, obligation, and then I, I when I came out, I they, they let me out early to do uh, a movie called Cimarron with mm -hmm. Glenn Ford that I made two or three movies with. Mm -hmm. I think I made three with uh, Glenn. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it wasn't till till later I think that I, I met. Uh, a writer named Henry Miller, who was a big uh, avant-garde, and we became friends. And uh, so I got really turned on to avant-garde uh, art. And uh, and it was through, after uh, Henry, that I met another uh, artist named Wallace Berman, who was a West Coast uh West Coast, known for being the, you know, for the father of West Coast uh, art, yeah. and he became my good friends and and turned me on to, and I moved up to Topanga Canyon and uh, uh, and 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 dropped out because I was tired of the performing arts. Uh, I wanted to do get into fine art, and I did. And the difference I always said was the difference is that in the in the performing arts, you do whatever you can to make your head to to make the audience's head spin. Right, right. But in fine art, you do whatever you can to make your own head spin. <laughs> and so that's what I got into, and it was much more uh, gratifying than. Now, do you, you eventually came back to acting? But do you think that you just kind of maybe? 
aside from being into the new art that you were discovering, were you also just in need of a break? You'd been acting since you were probably as far back as you could remember. Do you think it was just... Well, it had a lot to do with money because, okay. <laughs> you know, in, in art, I would do art and I would I would, uh, I would, would do a, a series of pieces and, and have a, an exhibition, a show, and sell the art. And I would make like maybe three or four thousand dollars for a year mm-hmm. i mean that's a year's work yeah. you know and uh it was just uh it was really hard yeah. it was hard supporting uh, uh supporting my wife and myself yeah. uh so that's when uh that's when i thought gee maybe i should look for work again but i i, I it was by accident that uh uh, that my friend, but that Dane Stockwell did yeah. that movie. He did the the movie with Dennis Hopper. Uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, was it Blue Velvet? Yeah, yeah, it was Blue Velvet. Yeah, and uh, and afterwards, I was living with uh, I was living with with Dean then, and uh, so he said that uh, he said he said, listen, you want to go with me to. Uh, David Lynch is having a, a birthday party and uh, at Dennis's house. So I went there with Dean, and uh, that was where uh, there was a moment when uh, when David was opening up uh, uh, cards, you know, mm-hmm. birthday cards mm-hmm. and everything. And he came across this one, and it was a picture of a guy with a bunch of pretty girls around him, you know, yeah. and I was standing next to him and, and he said, oh, wow. He said, hey, wouldn't you love to be this guy, Russ? <laughs> and it was an opportunity. And I said, you know what, David, what I would, what I really would like is uh, to work for you sometime. Wow. And he looked at me and he said, next movie, next movie I do. And of course in Hollywood, you know, that, that means nothing. Right. But sure enough, like a year later, pretty soon I got a call from my agent that, you know, David Lynch wants to see you. And I went to see him and he said, now the part I want you to do is Dr. Jacoby, this eccentric uh, uh, doctor in... Uh, Psychiatrist, I guess. So yeah. I ended up, uh, and I left and I remember thinking to myself, my God, he didn't say the the part I'm thinking of you for that I w- want you to try out for. He said, the part I want you to do. And I remember I went home and... Uh, and was thrilled when uh, I when I did it. That's amazing. Yeah, Twin Peaks had the first incarnations, 1990 to 1991. Then it came back around in 2017, where you were again playing that guy and uh, with his glasses, which are kind of interesting. The one what was it a blue lens and a red lens of the glasses? Yeah, I, w- I actually went to. Uh, uh, I live in Santa Monica, and so I went down to Venice, the Venice Walkway, and I walked along, and I, I decided I wanted to get some some colored glasses to wear, and so I kept looking at different glasses, and uh, I narrowed it down to these two glasses, to a pair of red glasses and a pair of blue glasses, and I kept changing them, looking in the mirror, trying to figure out which, you know, what would be best, and finally I took and put one lens over this, and the other one over the other one. I looked and I said, which one? And I said, both of them. That's it. So I had a pair made and I went to uh, went to a, a glasses uh, a place and, and uh, had them make me a, a pair. And I took them to David Lynch yeah. and said, uh, hey, what do you think? I'd like... I'd like to uh, I'd like to wear these glasses for the doctor, and I explained because I said one, the uh, red lens makes it brighter, and the and the blue lens calms everything down. Yeah. So uh, he he looked at it, he says Russ, he had a high voice, and he said <laughs> Russ, I think that's a great idea, but you know what? Let's not tell anybody what it's about. <laughs> and uh, so that so was there. You go. Well, last. Uh, minute or two, if I can, I just have to ask you a few sort of assorted random things. One of them, I wonder if there's a part that you ever passed on that you wish you hadn't. I mean, I've heard that you were offered, for instance, Gilligan in Gilligan's Island. Is That's that true? That's true. I think that was probably the, uh, the, but then, you know, later on I thought about it and I thought, you know, if I'd have done that part, I probably would have become a junkie or something because uh, <laughs> I needed to get in. I needed to st- stop acting and because yeah, uh, yeah. it was around that time yeah. that I that I walked away from Hollywood right. that, that I, I did that. That was probably the biggest. I did want to m- mention, too, that yeah. one of my favorite working experiences was playing opposite Debbie Reynolds in Hit the Deck. Oh, really? And that was... Uh, 
that was, just because she was so sweet and so much fun, yeah. and we had such a great time. It's good to good together. to know. How about? More recently, in 2011, you did Drive, and in 2012, you did Django Unchained. So these are two of the more eccentric, modern, uh, hip filmmakers now, Nicholas Winding Refn and Quentin Tarantino. Um, Again, they're not too many people who will have worked for both Cecil B. DeMille and Quentin Tarantino. Uh, <laughs> true. Well, I don't think anyone else. Well, I don't think so either. So I, I guess I just wonder, you know, being a part of sort of this new era, the current era of movies as well, um, and seeing how much things have, have changed and maybe some things haven't, just what were your, what were your impressions of on those more recent projects? Well, it was pretty small. I actually did a, um, I went to a party that uh, um, on a Sunset Strip that Tilda Swinton yeah. did a, a. We became friends with because she did a, a movie with my daughter. Yes, and uh, they were became very close. And she said, "Well, if you ever come to Scotland, come and visit me." And so we went to Scotland, and and uh, and my wife Bonnie and I and uh, and Amber all took a took a train and went up to uh, the top end of the northern part of Scotland to where she uh, lived and uh, and saw her there and uh, we became good friends. So she came back and did a benefit and I forget what the benefit was for, but it was uh, but it was a, a benefit and it was put on by T- uh, Quentin Tarantino and, and Tilda Swinton. And, and and so it was we I went there and and I didn't mention that I, I went on an interview, an interview with uh, with uh, Quentin Tarantino for the first movie that he did. And I guess he was very nervous. For Reservoir Dogs. For, for the Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I went in Way there and then, auditioned yeah. for a part, and, and, and he was kind of rude. Oh. And he said, uh, uh, and he said, Jesus, what happened to you, Russ? And, and he said, thanks for coming in, but what happened to you? And I had disappeared a little yeah, bit yeah. and gone into art. And... And it was because of him saying that 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 I just wanted to I wanted to not have to do that anymore. So that's when I got, got rid of my agents and uh-huh. dropped out. So at at the uh, I had no agents or no manager anymore. So at this party, I had a choice. I saw Quentin, and I and I had a couple of drinks. You know, <laughs> so I went over and sort of nailed him against yeah. the wall and said, "Quentin, you know, because of you, I dropped out of show business." And he said, "What?" And I said, yeah. I said, because of that interview, and you said something like, what happened to you? And he said, oh, well, I didn't mean it. I'm a big fan of yours. And so he started quoting uh, scenes. Uh, he started quoting scenes that I had done and uh, and movies that they said, oh, my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies is Son of a Gunfighter, which was a Western I yeah, yeah. did in Spain. And, and then he quoted lines. And in another one, uh, he, he, he quoted my, a speech that I did uh, and so I felt bad after that. I thought, Jesus, you know, I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't have said those things to him. So later on, Amber came back, and she was friends with him. And she and he and he said to Amber, he said, "Boy, he said your dad was really pissed off at me." And <laughs> and I uh, said, "What could I do?" And she said, "Put him in your next yeah, movie." Yeah. So that's when the movie came up, and uh, he gave me that. That's awesome. And I had that. That. And you played a son of a gunfighter in Django, right? That was that the was connection. The, that was the billing he yeah, gave yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and then he get, he, uh, and then he billed Amber as uh, a daughter, daughter of son of a, a gunfighter, which that's is great. pretty funny. Well, so just to close, um, you've mentioned your daughter Amber, who's turned out to be an excellent actress as well, and I enjoyed from when she was very young and starting out to since then. I think you as a child actor one time yourself probably had a, a interesting perspective on what she was going through and and uh, managed her when she was a kid and now she's I uh, did yeah. yeah I managed her and she was uh, and I used to go to uh, and she got this a soap opera general hospital yeah. that she did for a couple of years and i used to go uh, my mother uh, went and f- watched her because they had she had to have a uh, you know an adult guardian yeah guardian there so i i used to go and watch her and i'd stand behind the camera and watch her and she just had a great natural uh, talent you know yeah. but i would either give her a thumbs up or 
call her over and tell her something, a technical thing usually of, uh, you know, if the camera's here and and, and, and don't turn around the other way, but turn this way, you know. Right. But you must be very, uh, you know, proud of of her. And I just wonder, you know, for people listening who are wondering, um, you know, What's life like today? You know, uh, are you, are you, do you still have any desire to act? Do you prefer, you know, maybe you do things like golf or who knows what, but just what's, what's life like today? Well, I'm retired now. I really don't want to do any. I can barely walk now from all those years of tumbling yeah, and sure. flipping over everything. Uh, and I'm 88 and have a hard time m- memorizing sure, now, sure. even too. Uh, so, so I'm happy just, uh, uh, I've written my book, you know, Dancing on the Edge, yes. that I've been working on for 25 years. Great title. And it's got all my stories in it, some great stories yeah. in it. Uh, you know, stories, and I always try to get good ones. Uh, yeah. Like, like for instance, uh, I drove off the MGM lot one time with uh, Paul Newman in my trunk. <laughs> and that's all explained uh, in the book. But a lot of yeah. wild stories like that. I bet. Well, uh, and it, it's so. Where does that stand? It's coming. Uh, it's uh, it's. Oh, we got a publisher, a Blackstone uh, Publishing Company, and they uh, they're and they're we're going through a period now where I've edited it all, and and uh, uh, and so they they're work look re- reading it now to do an edit. Yeah, That's yeah, the way sure, it happens sure. with with books. So they're doing an edit, and then we're going to go back and forth. Yeah, and, yeah. and then it's. Supposed to come out in uh, April of uh, of next year. That's exciting. So I mean, oh, really exciting. Anyone who's listened to this, it, it whets their appetite, and then they'll go and get that the, for the full story. And in the meantime, thank you so much for all the great entertainment over the years. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for the interview. Really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.